Hello, welcome to the D program. This is um, part two, Crypto with Kishore. Uh, the first episode, I actually am a little upset with how I ended it because I just like ended it. I forgot to go and put an outro and play music or anything, so it was a little bit abrupt, but this episode is picking up where the last episode left off. It seemed like a pretty natural break. Uh, I, I'm wondering if maybe in the future I might like, um, I might put it out as one whole recording possibly in the future. But anyway, this is the hour that Shannon was actually taking care of children. So you can actually hear a couple of little blips in the background (laughs) of the children uh, crying. I was or, doing my best to keep them quiet, yeah, but they, they were definitely. It was being, not always successful. They were definitely being little turds during this recording, but uh, it, it's a really good uh, chunk. So, one of the purposes of this series was to like broaden the general understanding of what cryptocurrency and blockchains are, and this next hour is pretty good at that it talks about the uh crypto is an evolution of finance and economics um which finance and economics are a hallmark of modern civilization it's a way of um storing value over longer periods of time whereas like hunter-gatherer tribes i think um they stored their value in different ways, more in relationships. Well, yeah, and if you think about how just money or any kind of trading, bartering has evolved over time, and then to think that it has somehow stopped evolving or will stop evolving is kind of crazy. It is kind of crazy. And and it's funny how long people have viewed gold as money. Yeah. And, but- I mean, should we still be trading barley? Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah. which I mean, it's things funny. change. Well, and, and it's weird because crypto in a strange way is almost like a reverting back to trading barley. You know, a lot of these uh, cryptocurrencies are more like uh, that's actually the first topic that we get into in this episode is the utility function of cryptocurrency and how it how it actually does things and and how the coins work and stuff. So. Super interesting. This is the next, uh, cryptocurrency is the next iteration of money. And uh, we are on a new frontier. So with being on a new frontier that there's going to be exploration and a form of colonization and setting up new um, storehouses, so so to speak, or like uh, maybe the best way to say it would be like, uh, oh man, I'm going blank on it. Ports, you know, harbors, places for ships to land and and get off, you know. Uh, I've recently gotten a little bit more into Cardano, and I'm really excited. Uh, I don't know anything about it at the moment. But But it's exciting. It is exciting. (laughs) It's it's a fun one to read about. So anyway, this is, uh, you know, a, a new definition of money. And so this is a super interesting... Uh, episode, some of the things we talk about, like I said, was the utility function of crypto, game economics. We got into that a little bit in the first hour, but we really get into it a lot in this one. 
Um, one of the terms that Kishore said that like really stuck with me was the money defines the world that you are in. So the money that you are using defines the world that you are in. So within the context of the conversation, it makes a lot more sense. But it's it's just interesting because one of the things he was saying is the second that you start buying things in a video game, it takes away a little bit of the the game of it. Because now that you're buying stuff into it, you can actually start equating things you have in the game to real hours worked outside of the game. And part of the whole point of a game is to like kind of lose yourself in the game. So anyway, it was... Uh, uh, be on the lookout for or listening for that quote. It's uh, that little spot's pretty interesting. Um, some of the spiritual ramifications of some of this stuff, you know, he refers to it and says it's very Buddhist because you actually start to not want to spend the the currency, the crypto. Uh, it has these natural things baked into it where uh, you kind of want to hodl it. You know, you want to hold it. It you you know it's going to be worth more tomorrow than it is today. So why would I spend it today? So that was, I thought, super interesting, and I really want to explore that later in different thoughts. And then also uh, how it's programmable money. A lot of people, you know, if you think of it as dumb money and smart money, this is smart money. You know, it, it can do things more so than just holding value. Well, and a lot of, I guess like in finances, people would say like you're either buying liabilities or you're buying assets and i think kind of in a similar way like you're buying into an asset right you know yeah yeah for sure and but not only that but then you can like program that asset to to do something so it's almost like a machine in a sense um it doesn't sit idly um and then how we talk a little bit about self-collateralizing networks. And then uh, uh, Kishore has like a pretty interesting uh, analogy with DNA and cryptocurrency and says how like DNA actually it shows a lot of the same characteristics as crypto, which is kind of interesting. It's it's fun. And and he's kind of talking about it in, in a sense of how life evolves and changes and adapts it's able to incorporate um, environmental, you know, notions, and so it's it's pretty fun. It's this is a good a good hour. I listened back to it just to kind of edit and try to pick a good stopping spot for for part three to start, and uh, it was a lot of fun. It it's fun listening back to a conversation that you've had because little nuances jump out at you in, in ways that in the moment, in the conversation, it doesn't. Um, so anyway, super, super fun episode. I really hope that you enjoy it. Uh, a couple of quick updates. If you would like or updates, I don't know, just information. Announcements. Not really announcements no. either. No, just, <laughs> never mind. Um, the, the, the normal spiel. If you would like to support the podcast, uh, there is a link in the uh, link to Coinbase in the description below. Click on it. Go sign up. Um, if you put $100 in, you get $10 worth of Bitcoin. I get $10 worth of Bitcoin. It's kind of cool. Fun way to support the podcast without actually having to give me money. Another great way of supporting the podcast is to like, share, and subscribe. 
uh, I guess, give reviews anywhere you give reviews, uh, tell, uh, like word of mouth, you know, actually tell a friend to listen to it and to look it up and stuff. Uh, all of those help out the podcast. We're in the growth stage. So, um, any growth is appreciated and welcomed. And then, um, also for a future episode, go ahead and read fight club because that will either be the next episode or the next episode. We're not sure. Yeah, just depending on, we only had one one copy of Fight Club, so I was reading it most of the time, and Shannon didn't have it. So, so I'm mostly done with it. Yeah, I mean, so, I'll be done very soon. Yeah. And then we, then I've got to actually do some processing on it, because it's there's a lot happens in it. It's a pretty short book for as much happens in it, and, and some of the implications. So read that. We're going to do uh, a Reddit thread under the D program. Follow the link to that also in the description. Shannon was saying that if you actually just search the D program on Reddit, uh, you have to scroll all the way to the bottom because it's like gotten no traffic. So it's yeah, it just just know that if you search for it, it will not pop up immediately. You have to actually go in and select like see all communities and then scroll to the very bottom. Yeah, so. <laughs> And I, I know how you, uh, my listener base is like really good at uh, engagement. <laughs> so I'm sure that they're <laughs> going to jump those jump through those hoops. So anyway, uh, also you can follow us on Instagram. Mine and Shannon's are both at the bottom. So uh, hop, on, hop through there. And if you want to watch us play with our kids mostly, I think that's the majority of what's on it. I think Shannon's about to start posting her uh, Goodwill finds. Yes, I've been meaning to, and I think I might finally start to do that. She's been killing it. Um, I think the majority of the clothes that we wear now is Goodwill. Yeah, it's like today. That's what I was telling Dexter. My whole outfit was worth $7. And so my shirt was from a garage sale, and my shoes and my jeans were from Goodwill. But, I mean, $7 for a whole outfit, and I thought I looked pretty cute. Yeah, no, and it's, I mean, it's good stuff she found me two pairs of jeans that are like marmot jeans they're probably 65 dollar jeans oh and each. they they were nice jeans yeah. too. like they weren't worn they're or still stained like, they're or... still like pleated whoever like whoever bought or owned them before me got them like dry cleaned or something and, and, and like <laughs> they will forever them. be pleated so but uh anyway that's that's one thing you know we're we're trying the the kind of the goal of this podcast and I think where we're both kind of wanting to go in general is, uh, I wouldn't say countercultural because that's kind of played out. But I'm trying to think of a word for it. It's almost, it's not like, it's not necessarily countercultural. It's just playing the system in a way, if that makes sense. Like even for the clothes, these options are available to us. I'm not inventing anything new i mean goodwill is right down the road and there are people in there and it's it's has a ton of stuff Mm -hmm. but most people won't take the time to go do that even though they can wear a whole outfit for seven dollars and put more money into cryptocurrency or yeah investing or yeah it's just being smart with your money even if it takes a little bit more time it maybe is not as convenient and same with everything maybe gardening uh thrifting investing any of these things are not always convenient but they are 
typically the better option for the planet and for yourselves, like your own just personal growth and monetary growth. I mean, all these things, like there's not really any downside to them. Well, and like one of the things that I've been feeling, and I, I use this term a whole bunch through 2020, was that I feel like we're on a really large boat that's heading towards an iceberg. Um, Dan Carlin, one of my favorite podcasters, he did a, an episode called Turning the Ship, you know. And his whole argument was, you know, we've got to, as a voter base or whatever, really start engaging and making as many um, changes as we can to start steering the ship away from an iceberg that we're about to hit. Um I'm I'm not so optimistic that we're going to be able to make that turn. Like I think maybe it's a little bit too far down the road, but that as a there's there's um two different ways of looking at it. One is as a society, are we going to make it as a society? But I think everybody has it within their ability to um make it as an individual to become more resilient as a smaller unit, as a smaller community. Yeah, and I think of it too I think especially now with having kids, hey, I may not be able to change the world, but who knows what our future generations will do. So I don't want to pass down consumerism and completely unsustainable things to my children. I, I do want to teach them to be aware that everything has a cost and a price, even if we don't see that up front. So your convenience has a cost. So I think there are good lessons, good things that kids need to learn in order for so- for society to continue. Right. In any form. Right. I guess to stick with that analogy, it's almost like um, getting in the lifeboat now and going ahead and like jumping off the boat before it strikes the iceberg. Yeah. As opposed to like waiting for it to strike the iceberg. And then you say, "Oh no, I don't have food, and I literally don't know where food comes from or what to do." Right. Well, that was definitely one of the things that 2020, like, I think caused everybody to realize a little bit more is just how fragile our supply chain. Well, and how reliant we are on it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So that was a little bit of a digression. Speaking of being reliant, we also don't want to rely on large institutions to hold our money for us. Right. To bring it back to cryptocurrency. Yeah, decentralized um, systems and... So yeah, it's it's a wild it's a wild world, and we're kind of preparing for it uh, as best we can. Uh, but so this is a super interesting episode. I've talked to a lot of people about crypto in the recent months, just because I've been so interested in it. And there's like two responses: people either say, "Oh, cryptocurrency, I have Dogecoin," or they say, "Cryptocurrency, I don't understand that at all." And, and that's actually really interesting to me whenever there is so much to it. It's, and you, you have to just barely get below the surface. I mean, there's a ton of videos and a ton of people. It's a whole world. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, Kishore is, I think one way he learns it is just by clicking around and, and playing and being super involved. Well, and I think what most people don't realize, and it's about most things that you're, if, if anyone decides to go learn something, you're not going to learn it in a day. Nobody's going to sit down and study cryptocurrency and understand it fully mm. in one night. That's crazy. Right. These experts have studied years and years to be experts on cryptocurrency or whatever their topic is. You know? Oh, yeah. So it's just, I think we look at things 
and think, well, I can't, I can't do that. I tried reading it for 30 minutes and it was too much. Well, it's like, well, yeah, you gave yourself 30 minutes. A lot of these guys that I've been listening to, uh, a good resource is the Lex Friedman podcast. He's been putting out a bunch of really interesting ones. He had Vitalik on. He had uh, the dude from Cardano, Charles, something or another. He's had a bunch of different crypto people on, like high-level crypto people. And one of the things that in- that is really interesting about each of them is they have all been in the game since it's like started. Like years most of and years them and years. Are 2013, 2014, and they were super nerds to start with. You know, so a lot of these people have been have been engaged with these systems and been thinking about these things for like seven seven years, and they're just barely scratching the surface. Like these systems, like one of the things that uh, Kishore actually says in part three, but it was right at the cutoff, so I listened to it several times. Is he talks about how Bitcoin is the largest computer in the world? It's the largest it has the most power out of any computer in the world. And so when you think of it that way, it's like, wow, that is pretty, pretty powerful um, in itself. So anyway, hopefully you enjoy this episode. Uh, Like I said, uh, follow the links in in below and get involved. Um, And that could be as simple as like shooting me a message on Instagram. Like I've gotten a couple of messages you know, from, uh, several different people. And each of those is very encouraging. And it's like probably the best form of support is just saying, Hey, listen to it. You know, uh, your voice sounds goofy, but I like what you're saying, you know, something like that. It's, uh, it's very encouraging. So anyway, hopefully you enjoy this episode and hopefully we will start to get these episodes out a little bit more frequently. We have had a sick baby. We've had a sick baby. So that makes it hard to stay on track with and anything. And we've just been just in, you know, summer hits and... Just, and our kids are out of school. Yeah. Well, out of Mother's Day out. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's just been crazy. So anyway, uh, thank you all for listening. And um, until next time, peace out. Goodbye. What gives you the right? Well, I am a ticking time bomb of fury. <gasps> This can't be happening, man. This isn't happening. Let's see it. Well, what if there is no tomorrow? So stop melting, ladies, because the boy is hotter than hot. On the best chance you've got. to get this EKG screening every year. One of my questions about uh, cryptocurrency, and I was waiting till, you know, so far, the the main reason I asked you on the podcast, Mm -hmm. one was because of the crypto meetup. I thought it was super fascinating and you seemed like a super fascinating individual. You know, I knew you'd be (laughs) fun to put in front of a microphone. Um, But the second reason is because you're really one of the only people that I know that knows anything about cryptocurrency, which is, is kind of a crazy thing if you think about it today. Like, Especially since like 30% of Nigerians or something already participate, yet only a small percentage of Americans do. Which it makes sense. Be Like how many things are Americans outpaced on, right? Like mm-hmm. Shannon, um, her she just finished uh, her one of her classes for her master's was on definiteness and language. She's going for linguistics and mm-hmm. her professor is a, uh, a South Korean. Mm-hmm. And the whole, she said the whole class, like the whole time she was frustrated because she's having to talk to 
students that are working on their masters and doctorates and she's having to say don't you know this uh-huh. in my country a 13 year old knows this right. you don't know this sure. you know i mean we are outpaced in in so many in so sure, many ways and, and everybody's you know? outpaced by somebody else in something in something, in something something you're not going to really yeah and so uh, what what you're going to learn about is going to be for the average person is what am I going to use daily? It's not like you didn't need to know how a cell phone worked until you really could afford one, mm-hmm. right? Like you didn't need to know how a landline worked until you could actually get one in your house, right? Like you, like to some extent, you're more interested when you can actually get one yourself. Right. Now, you, you, I don't have to explain to you why a phone is a good idea. Like, you, oh, I get it. That's an awesome. You mean there's a box I can talk into and I can right. like hear you on the other end of the world? You don't have to explain. You don't have to pitch that to me with too much... Um, you know, a fanfare to help me get why it's helpful, right? Right. So the utility function of a lot of these things, I think you can explain Mm, to people. And so like, and the utility tokens in particular, I think are a lot easier to explain to people than say, for example, something really, really fundamental like Bitcoin, for example. Uh, I think you start almost backwards from like, how would you use a cryptocurrency in the real world where it would benefit you differently than had you had dollars, say, for example. Right, right, right. And you work backwards from that. Getting to the point where you understand the nuances of why Bitcoin's important is like trying to explain E equals MC squared to someone Mm -hmm, who doesn't mm -hmm. understand having a physics knowledge or math knowledge. You got it. You're just never going to get there. You're just never going to get there. Like it's, uh, you know, and you have to have a certain base level of intelligence to just even get it. And I'm not trying to be elitist or anything, but the reality is that like, you know, there's a lot of things I don't know about a lot of things. I don't have a base level of knowledge about it. Like I don't, you know, I only know a modicum of astrophysics or whatever. Right, you're right. you're going to lose me if you get into formulas about quantum mechanics or what mm-hmm, have you. Mm-hmm. I get the picture of why they do all that stuff. I just don't know anything about the nuance of it. Right. right? So if I go to a lecture on it and I get into the nitty gritty, I'm not going to get it. I just won't. Right. So like, wh- how is that going to benefit me might be like, you know, how does that make a better TV screen? Right. Or how does it, the utility of something for the average person is what they're interested in. Um, and how it's going to benefit them, their business, their life, mm-hmm, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then it goes from there. And, uh, and I think like the, the, there are tons now of real world examples of where you use things almost like cryptocurrency, like frequent flyer miles or a gift card. Like mm-hmm, is a gift mm-hmm. card money? Like what is a gift card exactly? Right, it's a right. bunch of code numbers and you know, they scan it at the store and somehow, or another, you got this gift card for your birthday and it translated into books at Barnes and Noble or whatever right. you got it for, you know? And so there are surrogate examples of fake money, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And no one's trying to, you know, de- you know, regulate gift cards out of existence yet. Like, you know, like, you know, it's, you're still denominated in dollars in theory and you paid right. for the thing in dollars. And that's true in cryptocurrency now, but eventually you won't care about a dollar because here's the thing. If a cab ride costs you a certain number of cab tokens, right, in France, and it costs you a certain amount here, and the local economics determines how much they're going to charge you for a cab, right, consensus is going to determine what the average number of cab tokens it's going to cost at that exchange rate for that time based on how much cab tokens are worth on global exchanges, mm-hmm. right? Same, same as like uh, it is for Swiss francs or whatever. What, I don't know what, what different world right, currencies right, are. Yeah, yeah. Pesos or Peso, whatever. Yeah. So, you know, um, you, 
you wind up with a self-valuation mechanism by just simply having it available for exchange. Right. And it just arbitrarily makes value because people mm. are willing to buy and sell it. They're willing to speculate on it. So the minute you spend a penny on it, it's worth something. Right. And now the minute you're, someone else says, well, okay, whatever, I might make more money by buying it. Then I can sell it to someone else mm-hmm. for more money. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's sort of Ponzi schemeish, but that's what all assets are to some extent. Yeah, what is it's what it? Pokemon cards are or whatever? Mm-hmm. You know, the thing goes up in value just Even because a house. it does. I mean, house think- antiques. I mean, how many things are essentially valueless? Paintings. There's no monetary exact value to these things, people, except what people make out of them. Right. And, but once you create a network of places to buy paintings, you have eBay to buy Pokemon cards or. Whatever you now, or you have a fungible market where you can sell taxicab tokens, they suddenly take on a life of their own. So, if I want to buy, let's say, a thousand taxicab tokens, because I know I use a lot of cabs, I'm going to buy it now before it goes up in value too much, right? Because I can then get a hundred taxicab rides in my life instead of 10, right? Right. I can hold on to them, maybe earn interest on them, or maybe just assume they're going to go up in value. I'm speculating that I'm going to be alive to use taxi cabs sometime in the future, yeah. right? So if I'm going to live in New York City starting next year, and um, I'm like, well, I better get more taxi cab tokens now because they're going to go up in value. What's going to happen to taxi cab tokens? They're they go up go in value, value everywhere. Well, so, it, it's, it's so exactly then, like then, a meme yeah. coin. It's a exactly. meme coin, right? Like so, safe moon. Right. Well, I better buy Safe Moon now because I can get it for whatever price. And right. it may be may worth up. something in the right. future. And and many of those things will become diluted to nothing. For example, like let's say the taxi cab example. Let's say every little taxi cab owner in the world makes their own coin. What's going to happen? Right. It, you're never going to get any traction. Yeah. So usually you get one or two or three big winners in the world because – People don't want to interact with six million currencies to 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 get a cab ride. They right. just want to take a damn cab, right? Yeah. Like they don't want they don't want to know the nuances of how it works. They just mm-hmm. want to be able to go from point A to point B, and they know that they have some coins they can pay for it with, right? So if the coins uh, increase in value over time, see how different that is. See now the cab drivers paid in something that goes up in value, right? So they don't mind holding it. They're going to accept it. Why not, right? If it earns interest for holding it, they're going to want it. Mm-hmm. If there is a system in place that pays more, that generates the pricing mechanism, say, for example, if you're at GPS location for Amarillo, you're going to get paid more than if, because there aren't enough cab drivers mm-hmm. in that region, right? So, like Surge, yeah, they it, call it Uber, in Uber, it's like a Surge fee or something. Exactly. Like that. So, so, they did the same. All of the things you see in Uber, they've gamed this out mm-hmm. and they figured out mm-hmm. a system. The only thing is you pay them in dollars and the fees are in dollars. But here's the, here's the funny thing. If Uber decides, we're just going to make Uber coin. We're going to print one trillion of them and we're going to just put them out in the wild. We will accept this token for rides and what have you. And it's going to be listed on Coinbase and Binance and I don't know what. Mm-hmm. It's worth zero. Here's the funny thing. They can print an entire currency for their own usage for zero dollars, right? And they can keep a, now they can't keep any of it, otherwise, it's a Securities and Exchange Commission problem, right? Mm-hmm. But if you just simply put them out in the wild, and here's the thing once I'm in the Uber token ecosystem, I'm not going to want to use another cab. Why? 
because I have this coin and this is the one I bought and it went up in value. Mm -hmm. It becomes sticky like a credit card rewards program. And they can create all sorts of rewards based on Mm -hmm. that. And they can create rewards for the drivers. In fact, you'd probably work out better for the drivers. Right now, the average Uber driver doesn't get paid enough. Right. Right. All the money gets leached over to Uber. Right. But here, now here's the magic. Origin protocol, which is an example, could arguably just get rid of everything. Shopify, Uber, everything you see on internet commerce could be essentially eliminate all the middlemen. And now the cab driver gets all of the benefit of being a network participant. You, the cab rider, get all the benefit of being a network participant. And there is no Uber. See, so like this could be extremely liberating to a lot of people um, who now work for a traditional corporation and why do they work for them? Because Uber created a network effect, right? Right. Because you can go anywhere in the world, you can get an Uber with your little app. Mm-hmm. But if there's a decentralized app on a decentralized server that nobody can shut down anyway, and I can exchange value directly with that cab driver, and you talked about tipping, and you know we talked earlier about modifying people's behavior. Mm-hmm. So if you give them a five-star review on the app, it'll give them more tokens than if you gave them a three-star review. Mm. So they have the incentive to get a review, right? So now you're now incentivizing good behavior, not kidnapping. And then not it could give you uh, res- an incentive for, for giving the review. Yeah, for doing exactly. the review. Yeah, you yeah. get a discount for giving the review the cab driver gives. And then some fraction of the transaction fees are saved for this purpose, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, mm-hmm. it, it's, it, so what normally would have gone to Uber and Uber shareholders as profits can be just be given back to the cab driver and the, dri- and the cab. How long is Uber going to last? I can tell you right now, Uber's the next blockbuster. It will be gone. If you own, like if you own stock in any of these companies, if they don't have a, to- this is what I tell people. If, you do- if they don't have a tokenomics plan or one in the works, they're about to become extinct. Because what, why would I want Uber to get part of the money? I would rather have the driver take all of it. Yes. Right? Wouldn't you? Oh, yeah. 100%. I mean, if you, if, you, if, you, like, if you had a network effect, but you didn't have to pay Uber for any of it. I think many people would just simply prefer to just pay their driver, honestly, mm-hmm. just like you would prefer to tip your waitress or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, like, so I, I think the middlemen portion of this is going to take the service industry by storm. If I were to sit down with a taxi cab driver and explain this system I just mentioned right now, how many of them are going to say, no, that sounds stupid? None. 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 Zero. Grand total of zero, meaning it's absolutely going to be, it's going to happen. Well, it's so weird because it's like money talks. Sure. It, you know, it was funny earlier when you were saying value. Like, value, like yeah. Watson sees, mm-hmm. right? Watson sees all these x-rays, mm-hmm. right? Money talks. It's inanimate objects mm-hmm. that actually engage in a physical way with this world. And like... Right. It, it's just, and and when the cap, taxi cab driver knows that his token can be easily exchanged on a, these apps are becoming simpler and simpler. By oh the way, yeah. like swapping apps, like on Terra Station, you can swap this coin for that coin like in a second, right? Like mm-hmm. it takes no time, and you can convert it to something else that you care about at that time, like mirrored Apple stock. So for example, if you're like, ooh, you know what? I got my taxi cab token today. I'm going to swap it right on my phone to, um, to Apple stock. Because I think the price of stock has dipped a little bit. And I'm going to buy a little bit right then mm-hmm. and there. You literally don't have to change platforms. It's getting to the point now where you'll be able to swap all sorts of stuff for all sorts of stuff like really quickly. And these aren't even on centralized exchanges anymore. A lot of the apps and whatnot are going to become decentralized. And, um, you know, so you're not going to be able to shut them down really. 
So once you have a system that just permeates, right, you can't shut it down and all the taxi cab drivers are using it. What do you, what are you going to do at that point? Right. There, there is no central company necessary, right? What do you, okay. So one of the things I didn't want to get too into like anything specifically political, Mm -hmm. but these news stations make a whole lot of money off of making people angry at each other. Sure. Right. It's like, I'm going to make you my enemy and, and this and that. And right. They, they kind of like, but see this system that you're talking about, that you're kind of laying out, it seems to, um, have a, a sort of unifying effect. It, it sure. almost, it almost makes it to where cooperation is more incentivized, right? Yes. Like a positive experience between two people is incentivized because it could possibly benefit both people to have a positive right. experience. It's like you, you get a cheaper cab ride if you use Uber. The the driver has a a place he can get a job, mm-hmm. uh, right? Like you and you can use his own car. You right, don't have right. to have a special taxi cab, and they're incentivized for and behaving. He can work his own hours. They're, yeah, and they're incentivized for behaving properly, and all the other elements that you see that they've achieved, they did that with a, a game system, and essentially. Yeah, that that network effect, that community value emerged out of thin air where it didn't exist before. Now you right. don't need taxi cabs and tokens and specialized cars and all sorts of, you know, this and that. Um, some standards were set in place, of course, you know, size of the car and how much that's worth mm-hmm. and blah, blah, blah. And, and there's ways to sort of, there'll probably be ways to stick your VIN number in there and it knows what vehicle you have and, it, you know, it's going to charge the for more for the ride right, or whatever. Right. All sorts of different things. But yeah, the, 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 these network effects, you can uh, gain either positive or negative effects depending on what you're trying to achieve, right? Like, but the interesting thing about tokenomics is, is that like a token specific for that economy, the incentives for any given industry may be different. Right. Like when like political, like you have one group of people who want you to solve the global warming problem or something. Right. Like, you know, without getting to two of the nuances of all this. Mm-hmm. And then there's another group of people that says, well, there's not really any global warming. And then there's another group of people that says, well, if there is, you're certainly not going to solve it by doing that. Right. 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 So you have what in the in the political world, you wound you wind up with an interesting problem. The same people that will tell you that they want to solve global warming are the same ones that want to solve poverty. Here's the problem with that. The the more less pover, impoverished you are, the more energy you expend per person. Right. So how in the world are you going to solve these diametrically opposed problems? You're not. It's just all double speak and nonsense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's pure hypocrisy, is what right, it is. Right. Like there's no, like none of what they're going to do is going to solve what they say they're going to want right, to happen. Right. So if you're say for example having a currency that doesn't earn you any yield in the bank account, great example. What's going to happen? People are going to spend their money because they can't save it anyway. They're not going to get anything for saving. In fact, they're going to lose money through inflation. I think it's 4% this mm-hmm. year or some nonsense. Mm-hmm. So guess what's going to happen? You're going to spend it. What are you going to spend it on? Things that make global warming. Right, Cars right. and movies and I don't know what else you're doing. Uh, something plastic that's de- delivered through the mail. Sure, or whatever. Yeah. Junk that you're just kind of mm-hmm. – yeah, and yes, that creates jobs. So here's the problem. If you lock everything up in interest, you don't stimulate the economy. Mm. So you don't make any money to lock everything up in interest. See, it becomes a cyclical mm-hmm. problem. You don't have any way to generate money right. to even put it to save it. 
right? So you, you, you wind up with this sort of economic cycle and they're always tweaking it, like at the Federal Reserve and other mm-hmm. levels and government right. levels to try to stimulate certain activities, healthcare or whatever. They want to incentivize these activities. I think what's going to end up happening is, is the tokenomic systems are going to be so powerful. They're going to be incentivizing at such a magnitude that, and they're going to be governed, self-governed so quickly because people notice the problems in them and tweak them that eventually you're not going to have government involved with those things anymore. I Which think that's, that's how be. powerful yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah, I don't believe, like, in most countries, I don't think governments will any longer be involved with the creation of money. Imagine that. So that's, 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 a, that's a change that's fundamental to the entire history of the human race, right? As far as we know, civilization. Right. Gold and silver and metal and everything that we use to think about money. Um, today, like in things that exchange, I don't think governments at all have to be involved anymore because see, like if 30% of Nigerians are, you know, using Bitcoin now because their own currency is crap, what else can the Nigerian government do? They can try to ban it, but what's the point? How long is that going to last? So did, right? like, did, uh, that's one of the things I was going to talk about is like with this current dip in the crypto market, there's a lot of different people pointing fingers in different ways. Like China, did China ban Bitcoin? No, China basically, well, first of all, a lot of mining of Bitcoin happens in China. Right. And so they haven't prevented mining from happening. Um, they think it's a good revenue generator for China indirectly, right? Like it's a good industry for them. What they're trying to prevent is financial institutions from getting involved in it. So for example... Bank of America of China, whatever that version of in, in China is, it should not be speculating in Bitcoin mm. um, and offering services directly like the United States is going to be. Um, a lot of banks are now incorporating Bitcoin services and other crypto services mm. into their networks. The Chinese way will simply not work long run. And the reason is because what, what I think people really need to understand is that there will be no difference between the internet and cryptocurrency. It's like non-participation in cryptocurrency will equate to non-participation in the modern internet. Right. The BAT token is one example. Theta tokens for video is another example. Mm-hmm. Like those systems are so powerful compared to even centralized systems. And there's, they bring so much more value to the network participant that the people themselves will mm. eventually start using it and the government will just shrug their shoulders eventually. Same, same as they've done with cell phones. Like they, they're allowing, you know, they haven't so far banned so fully encrypted cell phones in China yet, right? Like Apple phones or people use them in China and they're fully encrypted. So there's a point after which the government has to say, do we really want to be involved at that level with people's lives necessarily? Um, or not. You know, China is an example. They mostly are iron fisted. They want to prevent the people from rising up and doing who knows what, right? Like, you right, know, right. And, and every country is, to some extent, wants to preserve their existing well, and, and what culture you're saying, and government. What you're saying makes sense that governments, you know, this, this past, like 2020, um, it seemed like a lot of governments were freaking out mm-hmm. throughout the world and were. It felt like power grabs. No, no, we got this, 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 right? And like, you know, then the people were all revolting. We had riots in the United States. We had There was riots in Russia and Europe and pretty much anywhere. You could turn mm-hmm. on the TV and there right. was like, there was guys with plastic shields going against crowds, right? And right. It, 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 it just felt like, it felt like 
a certain amount of losing of control, right? Mm-hmm. Like there was a passing of the guard maybe or something. And, and, and I'm not exactly sure to me that it's uh part of, you know, you're uh, before the podcast asked, you asked like what the podcast is about. Mm-hmm. And I'm not exactly sure. Like that's what I, <laughs> the times are so confusing sure. that I'm not sure like what we're in the, it's like a, it's like being in the middle of the American revolution and you know you go to the tavern, right. and you've got some loyalists sitting I mean, at one end, you, and you, you got you, some. You've got people in some parts of the world who like don't have a place to live, or in relative poverty, and you have people in other parts of the world that spend half their day playing a video game. Right. In a totally different world, that is completely unrelated to the experience of. Like the, the divergent like worlds people are living in are mm-hmm. remarkable. Yeah, you know it's like it's very strange and it's very hard to explain to a person in this world what they're going to be interacting with when they meet the person in that mm-hmm. world and how they're going to exchange value, yes. right? And and whatnot. Like you know, so I think like the the yeah. But I the more I look at it, the more I look at the world from that video game eyes, and that is that like even in a video game, like right, you had to how do you prevent cheating? Like how do you how do you prevent people from going and selling this stuff on the game online elsewhere? So you know, like a good example there would be the governance would be the video game manufacturer. So like Sony at the time ran um, EverQuest, and because people were selling game stuff outside of the game, first of all that ruins the game because then you can then take real world cash and buy stuff that normally would be earned in the game. Mm. So it ruins the game for the true mm. gamer. That's the first problem. Right. So the second, so it ruins the game and it ruins the world, right? Like in other mm-hmm. words, if you could just walk into a bank and take any amount of money you wanted to, well, that's not how the game is played. Right. right. Like, you know, so um, then money's not worth anything. If anyone can just walk in and take anything they want. Right. Yeah. Did so, you ever play um, clash of clans? Uh huh. Yeah. It, those that, kinds of games yeah well that's one of those things for me it was really fun right mm-hmm. the start of it you know i was playing and building and there's a little bit of strategy to it and you know each each player had the it was quantified sure but then um i got to a certain level where the game mm-hmm. wanted me to start spending spending money. money yes and so i was going against these guys that and, were spending and money. those video games yes and I, I know exactly what you're talking about so what happened with everquest just getting back to that was the video game companies realized, wait a minute, people are willing to spend silly money, like actual real world work that you had to go to job and make mm-hmm. actual dollars to have experiences that are fake, right? Mm-hmm. So you, like you're willing to pay a lot of money for this. People are paying thousands of dollars for video game time. It's not just the 50 bucks that you pay for the video game mm-hmm. at GameStop and then come home and stick it in your right. thing and play it. People were spending subscriptions. They were spending extraordinary amounts of money. And then you wound up with stuck with the problem of the rat race. But the rat race was in the game now. Mm-hmm. Because now you're having to pay for loot you know, or whatever in the yes. game with real world money. And here's how that ruins the game. Once you do that, and I, I, you probably felt this too, now you're starting to equate okay, wait a minute, if I had to win this sword in the game, right, and I had to spend 10 hours of time generating the gold to do this, how does that make sense if I can go to a real-world job, spend one hour of time, make five bucks or whatever, and I spend that on the exact same thing, Mm -hmm. right? So now you're starting to equate what you're getting in-game and how much work you have to do there with how much work you have to do in real life. Mm. The moment that happens, 
the game starts be- losing favor for the you. The illusion, the is illusion gone. is broken because now you are now you're you're mixing two worlds and you're equating your proof of work. It all comes down to the Wizard of Oz, man. Exactly. It's like as but, soon as you realize, as soon as you realize, it's, it's over. There's nothing yeah. there. There's nothing there. And you know, and and the illusion of the game is, and so, like you want to be in the game, not in real life. In the mm-hmm. moment you're having to prove yourself. Not only that, but let's say you're not rich in real life, mm-hmm. right? You don't have any money in real life. You go in the game, you spent your 50 bucks, and you could be a king in that game because you just spend the time and do the work. Right. If you don't have to do that, like you just have to be independently wealthy, and you can spend a million dollars on video game loot or whatever it's the nonsense. Same world. I'm in the then same what happens world. is you're just in the real world now. Yeah. Because you're, see, notice how your money defines the world you're in, not the right. other way around. Yes. Isn't that weird? You value, you, how you value your money defines the world you're the in, the world that you're in. Yeah, indirectly, because how you exchange value defines how you're going to then perceive that world ultimately. Right? Isn't it weird? Yeah. Like, it, like now, it'd be, and it's also different if you're just given wealth, right? Like, imagine in real world. If you work for it, and you're making fifteen bucks an hour, you look at money differently than if someone gives you a million bucks. Oh yeah, I've seen it. I've right? Seen like, it, who you know? who who hasn't seen something like that happen in the in the climbing world? Uh, it's called the trust fund babies. Uh huh. Right. You know, we we uh, the dirt bag was uh-huh. born out of the climbing world. You know, you basically. <laughs> right would scrape everything together to make this trip and ever you know, everything shoestring. Right. But then you'd be in the same campsite as this trust fund baby. Oh yeah. Who just swoops in with all the top level gear. Right. But you're playing the same game, right? Right, right. We're both camping out and we're both rock climbing. Right. But in some regards you're just kinda like, dude, we're we're not playing the same game. Right. You know? Right. It, it is it's kind of a it's a strange and you know, then you go back to that same conversation that we were or the portion of the conversation earlier, whenever it was like, what does it mean to work? Mm-hmm. Like, what does it mean to have what you have? You know, how, like, how weird what is, is this? Money? Some of my fun times were winning video game crap for fake money for fake stuff. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes that was more interesting or more fun than earning real money for real stuff. Mm, but then what is real Exactly, stuff, like you know, yeah. I mean, it just means that what you realize when you play enough video games is stuff's not important, right? At all, right? You realize at some point that none of it's important because here I am assigning value to just an idea. Mm-hmm. Why don't I do the same thing in real life? I don't really need anything then. So the weird thing about Bitcoin, and a lot of people notice this, is because it's highly deflationary. It makes no sense to buy pizza with it, right? Because like. Oh, you were the guy that spent 20,000 Bitcoin on pizza. That was the most expensive pizza from Domino's ever purchased mm-hmm. in the history of the world. That's about mm-hmm. the most expensive food object ever, if you look at the inflation. Dang. The deflationary rate of Bitcoin, right? Yeah. Now that's worth a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin or whatever the heck it's worth. Yeah. So the, wow. the behavior of the hardcore Bitcoin people is no longer to look at how much it's worth in dollars. Mm-hmm. They just look at how much Bitcoin they have. What? And they don't go and try to spend it because spending it like doesn't make any sense because if you have an alternative, I could spend my dollars or I can spend my Bitcoin. Why would I spend the one that's going to go up in value in like like for years on end, right? right? You see right. the pro- See, so highly deflationary currencies create a hoarding behavior that's very different. Hoddle? And it's anti-materialistic. It's like right. almost Buddhist in a sense. Like, yes. you know, I don't need anything. Because if I... I'll, perfect example. Here's an example. Um, all right. So I, I bought a token um, the, the, in January and um, it, it was called Stormex and it, 
it has to do with shopping and this and that. Anyway, so I buy this thing and it gives you shopping rewards points and whatnot. And if you have more of these tokens, it's like a scheme where you get more rewards points. And so it creates a reason for people to get the coin and hold it. Mm -hmm. So as a result, more people buy it, more people hold it. And we're in the middle of this crypto bull market, so the thing goes up in value. The thing at the time had a 20% interest rate. I think it now dropped to like 12.5% because the adoption reached a certain level. Mm -hmm. Anyway, long story short, if I were to have bought a... So if I bought a car worth $70,000, okay, at the time in January, right, that money would be gone and I'd have a car that's now a depreciating asset. On the other hand, if I have Stormex tokens and I bought seventy thousand dollars worth, you know they're worth you know two hundred thousand dollars today, mm. three months later, and it earns twelve and a half percent interest. So technically, I can rent a car off the interest payments because that's about three hundred bucks a month or whatever that comes right. out to three hundred dollars a week. I'm sorry. So really, your your what's your incentive then to go and pay for your car with cash? Right. In fact, what's your incentive for buying a car at all? Because then you start thinking, wait a minute, here I am earning this interest and it's compounding at a certain rate because, you know, every coin I get, I can restake it for more interest. Right. And I'm like, wait a minute, if I go buy a car now, I'm going to decrease my earning capacity. So guess what happens? You start buying less stuff. So your currency defines your world. The behavior of that currency decide, helps you decide whether you're going to buy a car now or wait for later, right? So it's like... Can you, do, what makes you... And you might just say, screw it, just I'm going to walk to work, right? Like, yeah, I just I don't yeah. even need a car at all. What makes you <laughs> more American? Is it is it rock and roll or is it the dollar? Yeah. You know? Right. Like, because so many of our behaviors, I mean... Mm -hmm. Sure. Or like the credit card, right? Like, mm -hmm. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I'm having a conversation with somebody or we're talking about well, cryptocurrency or something and then I realize, oh, you have $10,000 worth of credit card debt? We don't need to be having a conversation about cryptocurrency. <laughs> right. We need to be having Talk a conversation about basic, yeah. yeah, paying off your credit card. What are you doing? <laughs> yes, what are you doing? Exactly. That that you yes. should be earning yield, not yes. giving someone else your money. Mm -hmm. And in fact, if you have once you have a cryptocurrency like many of them have now, yields in the neighborhood of five to fifteen to even twenty percent. Like at that point, why would you borrow any money at all? It's 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 almost idiotic to borrow money unless you absolutely had to, because that kind of yield is out, uh, it's outstanding, right? Like mm -hmm. $100,000 at 20% interest is making you $20,000 a year, right? And actually, if you look if you at 20% interest, I, I just looked at Anchor Protocol, which is where you can um, deposit UST, which is a stable coin connected to the US dollar, and 2,000 bucks parked in that was netting me a dollar a day. $2,000... An average poor person can get that. Yes. They're like, okay, I could get to the point where I have $2,000. I can work in a minimum wage job. I can do, and now I'm making a dollar a day by doing nothing, by parking it there. And that's compounding by the block, which mm -hmm. means that like in you know cryptocurrency terms, that's like every hour or whatever, or 30 minutes or whatever mm -hmm. that is compounding. So mm. it's actually, it's the yearly interest rate actually maybe 22% or 23, right? Like is that... Cause it's what do you think about <laughs> whenever a guy like Dave Ramsey, mm -hmm. you know, do you follow anything about Dave Ramsey? I've, I've heard him. Or, I've heard him. Yeah. You know, um, on the radio, so yeah. it was funny cause now that, now that I've like kind of, um, I, this whole, this whole idea about cryptocurrency and just the world that it produces mm -hmm. really excites me. Mm -hmm. And so I've been talking to a lot of different people about it 
And so now anytime somebody sees something crypto-esque, mm-hmm. they send it to me. They're like, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? Right. And one of them <laughs> that they sent me was a Dave Ramsey one. And he was mm-hmm. essentially, he said, um, Dogecoin is essentially the same thing as Bitcoin and Ethereum. And they're mm-hmm. all Ponzi schemes. They're all... You're, you don't put any money in them. You're going to lose the house. You're going to lose the farm. Right. Don't do and, this, right? And that essentially is like saying equals MC squared is not important to nuclear power. Right? Mm-hmm. Like the uh, equals MC squared is just letters on a paper. Right? To some people. Right. But to other people, it's a nuclear missile. Um, I got news for you. Like, so that kind of like silliness is just simply a complete intellectual laziness is more than anything. Right. So, yeah, all asset classes are designed to be Ponzi schemes, if you think about it in a different way. Like, you know, you know, is Apple stock really worth 30 times its earnings? No, it's not worth 30 times earnings. It's worth, worth theoretically it's asset value plus maybe one times its earnings or whatever, right? No, mm-hmm. it's worth whatever people are willing to pay for it mm-hmm. for future earnings and future growth, which mm-hmm. is speculative. It's right. not there's no there's no absolute truth to that. You know, Apple stock, it could be worth literally $120 today, which is what it's worth now, or it could be worth half that, quite frankly, and still be overvalued in theory. Because you don't know what they're going to produce ten years from now. Right. They they, they they might or cell phones may not even be that important then, or who knows what the heck happens, right? So all these things are. Uh, so the the language of Ponzi scheme or greater fool theory is the same concept that that uh, Warren Buffett talks about and whatnot when it comes mm-hmm. to cryptocurrency, and they're missing they're missing the a lot of the point. Um, their their concern is that yes, if you have it early then you're going to be worth more because there's a finite supply, right? But this is true of, uh, I don't know, art. Right. Like, right, like, I mean, if you have the, one of the only Picassos out there, is it a Ponzi scheme that people want to spend more money on it and you are, you paid a million dollars for it and someone wants to pay two million for it? Like, it's just, it's just ink on a paper, you know, it's mm-hmm. like paint on a, mm-hmm. on, a, on a canvas. It's basically worth zero, except for what people will make of it. So right. this idea of value, um, I think, is what they're not really understanding. Like, they're not getting it. Look at it from a video game perspective. Mm-hmm. People were paying for video game, mild, uh, game gold that was mined by Chinese prisoners. Right. All right, like, wrap your head around that and then tell me stories about Ponzi schemes. Like, it's just completely irrelevant. Like, the, the, they they're missed the whole point, and I mm-hmm. think that's a... That's why Americans are stupid to cryptocurrency now is because the last 10 years has been about talking about Mt. Gox and crimes and hackers and blah, 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 and not the benefits. Right. It's sort of like when people said, well, what's the point of personal computers? I don't see anyone buying this. What is the point of the internet? Like, mm-hmm. are you really going to use your mm-hmm. credit card in that thing? Right. But here we are buying all our crap on there, mm-hmm. right? For that matter, credit cards themselves, people were mistrustful of them for many, many years, right? right? And and is MasterCard and Visa, uh, what kind of scheme are they running that they get to get 2.5% of all these transactions right. or whatever that percentage is? So there's a lot of things that seem like they are schemes to begin with, but really tokenomics is really the fundamental core economics, but in programmable money. And, and you know, the funny thing is these are people that use 
digital money every day, every which day. is the funny thing. How can you say this when you don't even know where your digital money comes from except for someone just made it up? Mm-hmm. Like it's literally digital. It's not even physical anymore. It's not even like you can count the dollars you have. It's a digital representation. It can right. be erased. You can lose it, et cetera, right? If something happens in the transaction, it can be gone in theory. Or if a bank were to disappear, now where's your money? You know, it's in a copy somewhere in a hard drive, right? All of those things, they're already participating in that technology and they don't even get it yet. It is wild because, you know, I was having in this, it's it's crazy the things that I was saying because as I learn more about cryptocurrency, I realize that I know nothing about cryptocurrency. Right. So whenever I was like, it's like, how was I saying some of the stuff? But, right. Some you know, of the stuff I said a few years ago was probably only partially true compared right, to right. what really it is. Well, but it's like one of the things I was saying is I was telling my buddy, I was like, you know, if your if your mowing customer mm-hmm. comes out to you and says, "Hey, I've got Bitcoin. Can I just pay for my my yard mowing in Bitcoin?" Right. And he was like, "I would never take that. I would never take that deal because, you know what? If if she gives me a dollar, I can go to the store and I can spend a dollar." Right. Right? Like that's that's money. Bitcoin is not a money. Right. You know, and I'm like saying, well, Bitcoin's going to deflate and sure. money's going to And they're inflate, confusing you know? the fiat on and off ramps more than anything. Mm-hmm. But here's what's happening right now. So if you look at Terra Money for example or, or Terra Labs, they've created uh, the Terra Money network of systems and what they did in South Korea was they they they've made their app so that it's open source. So like a store chain like uh, can incorporate it into their system. So in South Korea, what happened is there's an app called Chai, C-H-A-I, and it became very popularized very quickly because a big player decided to run this system. Why? Because now they don't have to pay Visa and MasterCard. They make a buck. So the incentive for them to run this is they can get the transaction fees, which are less than Visa and MasterCard, but now they can eliminate that entirely. The business who uses this system, right, doesn't have to pay Visa and MasterCard anymore, and they can give back rewards points to their customers for using it. And so the customer is like, whatever, sure. Then you add Anchor Protocol to that, which allows the person, while they have their money in this system, right, and as U.S. in that in Korea, it's KRT, Korea token is their, you know, stable coin mm-hmm. that goes with that system, and they're earning twenty percent interest while they wait to spend it on gasoline. So in other words, you could budget for all the gasoline for the year, park the money you earn in interest, and just take the interest earnings and pay for your gasoline. South Koreans are pretty good at math. Mm-hmm. They figured this shit out pretty quickly. Yeah. And they're like, uh, normal money's stupid. I'm in. Yeah. Visa and MasterCard are stupid. There's no way I'm ever paying a credit card transaction. Uh, uh, I'm not borrowing on, off a credit card ever again because mm-hmm. that's stupid. Because mm-hmm. they charge people 20% all the time, Right all the time. So if you have a system that can generate high interest yields of some kind, let's forget about 20%, even if it's just 10%, let's say, you know, half of it goes to the vendor and half of it goes to you, you're still making 10%, right? So that's how that protocol is being used. A lot of these apps that are coming out will take 2% for creating a nice, easy to use app. You're still getting 18%, let's say, and their their, their industry is funded to provide you with this app. Right. See the incentive systems? They're yeah. being built now for absolute breathtakingly fast adoption to where like one minute you'll be using dollars and by next year you'll be using UST 
for getting, uh, there's a company that's allowing you to go straight off your TerraStation wallet to, um, get, since Amazon doesn't accept UST, you have to have a way to convert that, right? So the company converts your UST into an Amazon gift card. So at the point of sale on your Chrome browser, when you go to type in, oh, I don't know, your, your normal, your transaction for your credit card, mm-hmm. it'll see the amount, it'll, it'll read it off your Amazon page and it'll say, here's a gift card for that amount. It'll Dang. take UST out of your wallet, give you the gift card number, it pastes into the little blank in Amazon and you hit pay and boom. Now you've used your UST, which is earning 20% interest while it's waiting. You see the wow, difference? And yeah. you, don't, you don't even ever leave that system. You don't even ever actually have to inter- interact yourself with the dollar because someone else is doing it for you. Right. Well, right? see, like, it, it is wild, man. Like, so <laughs> I had never, even whenever I was writing the question down, is mm-hmm. this imaginary? Is this real? I didn't think of the implications of if, it's, if it is imaginary, if right. it isn't real, what are some of the things that you can build into this system yeah. that create a real utility? Yeah, it's a utility. Real, it's what yes. you're asking. And utility. so, the more utility, the more places you can use it, the more it becomes real to a person. Yes. right. It goes straight from I work for this to I'm earning with this. I can borrow off of this, and I can also, you know. So not only that, but check this out. So smart contract will let you take a loan for yourself. Like, for example, mm. let's say I deposit $100,000 and I have it in my deposit, but I'd like to borrow off of that, okay? So the protocol let me borrow like a 20% loan-to-value ratio with no problem, right? Like I can just borrow twenty grand off of my own money. Now I have 120000 I have the 100 that's sitting there earning interest, and I borrowed off the money that's sitting there. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually able to deploy that for whatever I want. It, and it'll, it'll have an interest rate for me to borrow, and then it'll pay someone else to lend it to me. You know, it'll be a, it's just a bank, basically, but right. it's all algorithmically driven. There's no actual bank, right? Like mm-hmm. you, every principle a bank has, you can program it into a computer. How do we know? Because we do it in video games all the time, right? Like we do it all the time. It's just not even a, it's not even complicated math, quite frankly. Mm. It's really, really simple. The only difference is that adoption has to emerge, right? You have to ways to get what you currently earn as dollars, and you have to be able to use them for taxi cabs or healthcare or, you know, or for Amazon gift cards or whatever the heck you want to get. And there has to be a company that exchanges that for you spontaneously without, you know, any. Now, if Amazon were to then accept UST, for example, that'd be different. Right. Here's the thing: How do you get all the companies in the world to, to decide upon one cryptocurrency? Right. You probably won't, right? Well, you, hopefully, you, you, you probably won't. So here's the thing: like even Bitcoin, all those things, like you said, some of them go up and down in value. Some of them are not stable, mm-hmm. and some of them have to be backed by what actual dollars, like USDT Tether or the the what's the other one called Circle has uh, USDC, right? These are mm-hmm. stable coins that are backed in real dollars and real banks, and now they have a a token version of it to comply with that, right? But the algorithmic stable coins, which are the new ones, don't even require that. They are collateralized by unstable coins. It's, it's complicated. But bottom line is <laughs> Luna is an unstable coin like Bitcoin. It goes up and down in value. But it collateralizes the UST, which is the unstable coin. You have to burn Luna to make the unstable coin, mm. the stable coin. Mm. Right? So it's self-collateralizing networks. And as long as Luna's worth something, UST's worth something and vice versa. So now the, the, the market cap of 
UST is now like 61 in the world of all the cryptocurrencies. And you haven't even heard about it until like today, probably, you know, like it, the speed with which these are adopting is remarkable. Like when a good idea, it's like a good idea. Once it's like when it goes viral and people see the point of it and people are working on adoption, it just emerges the same way you use Visa and MasterCard today, right? Like, like, like when did that start? Right, some it had to start somewhere, right? And then that network had to be built, and eventually now you have Visa and Mastercard and terminals everywhere, and you take it for granted that people are like, "What? You don't take my Visa? Like, what, what the hell kind of business are you?" Right? right? Like, you almost like, "What's going on here? Cash only? Yeah, what? Wh- like what? I don't have any cash." So then you're right. like, "Well, I'm going to go eat somewhere else or whatever." Right. So it's you know, there's very few places that do cash only at that mm. point, right? Mm-hmm. So like th- these kinds of adoption things, bringing fiat in and you know, there's there's apps coming out in Europe that like bring your bank directly into the app that you not as an exchange. You don't even need the exchanges anymore. Like what you think of Coinbase and whatnot, those won't exist either, because your apps will have decentralized exchanges built into them, and all you have to do is just swap for anything you want. So like, I need to more taxi cab tokens. Okay, well I'll do that. Oh, Amazon has Amazon token. Well, hell, it'll automatically swap them the moment you use it. So you can use your taxi cab tokens on Amazon stuff. Like it won't, what I'm saying is once we're done, you won't need money as you see it today. Governments won't be necessary to be making that money because the people won't want it. The politicians won't use it. And no one, it's, it's like regulating payphones. You're literally regulating nothing because no one's going to care about any of that stuff. <laughs> so, so I think what will happen is most national currencies will disappear. That's my opinion. That's my opinion about where this is going. So when India says we're going to ban cryptocurrency, that's like saying we're going to ban, I don't know, technology. It's idiotic. It's, it's, it's a no microchips, no microchips. Yeah. No microchips. Like in, in order to ban cryptocurrency, you literally have to ban the internet computers right. and cell phones and everything like you can't stop it from emerging it's an emergent property imagine but here's the thing there has been a cryptocurrency on this planet for the entire history of its existence uh and that's called life mm. what is dna dna is programmable biological molecules that you can now program by the way you can right. make flowers yeah. look different i can give you a third leg or whatever right mm-hmm. like you can program dna if you know enough about it Right. You can cure diseases by modifying DNA. You could, you know, create, you know, you can create twins out of thin air. Right. People have cloned sheep and whatnot. It's programmable. Life has figured out. And what does DNA do? It evolves for each niche. Right. So like Mm. a, a bird evolves in one way based on the environment it lives. A tiger evolves in a different way. The, the, the color of a chameleon is one way, depending on what island it lives, and after a while it evolves to, right? So programmable right. life, is that's what DNA is. It's just programmability of molecules. And ultimately, like what, we're, what cryptocurrency is ultimately doing is it's taking what life has already discovered, right? It's an emergent... Yeah. Pro- the, the blockchain is essentially an emergent property of the universe already. We call it DNA, and we don't already have a version of this that has been going for 5 billion years. Mm-hmm. Right, like, 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 this is not like some. We're just sort of like just going. Oh, wait, you can use that for this too. Yeah, it's so weird. Have you, uh, <laughs> have you, have you been uh, on like any of the the mushroom stuff recently? Talking about like mycelium sheets and and stuff like that. They talk about like forest uh, like technology that. Well, no, like they're or, saying like forests that trees uh-huh. actually communicate through right. like the yes, mycelium yes. sheets that, yes. and stuff like that uh-huh. in the in the floor and. It's kind of one of those things where it's really interesting 
how the more we're learning about mm-hmm. um, the the more we're learning about naturally arrived at systems. Yes, it mirrors what we artificially create. Sure, life is sort of all the crap we're talking about. It's already efficient. It's already efficient and been done for five yes. billion years. Right. right, like it's been done. You know, this is why I tell people you're never getting rid of viruses. Mm-hmm. Because probably life wouldn't exist without them. Right. They're, they probably it, serve fundamental purposes mm-hmm. that we don't, we're not aware of. Yeah, we don't like getting sick. But they probably have. They've been around since the dawn of whenever. And it's like, what is you're that? You're not the, getting rid of them. You the, know, world, like, the War of the Worlds or whatever, right. where the aliens come down and then they end up right, getting right. sick because of our viruses. And so right. we end up beating them. It, it's like been... you're not getting rid of viruses any more than you're getting rid of evil on the internet. Right. Like it's like, it's like an unfortunate... Byproduct the of, byproduct side effects of, of technology and DNA is mm-hmm. that, well, you have predators and you have prey. Right. Like, I'm sorry, but that's just how DNA is. You can blame the tiger or you can blame the prey or you can blame vegetarians. Or I don't, you know, but the, they, the both get, is, they both get better, though. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, they the pronghorn goat mm-hmm. can run or goat. I think it's a goat. Mm. But it can run like 60 miles an hour. Okay. And so they've deduced... That there had to have been a predator at some point in time in North Why America. Why did this thing run this fast? The only right. reason it would run that fast right. is because something could run pretty close to that fast. And actually, know? what we call that whole study is teleology. Teleology. So evolution is the study of like, like the the concept that things evolve to modify for their environment eventually. Mm-hmm. Like, why do humans have? you know, two legs and why do we stand upright? And there's had to been reasons for all right, these things, right. right? The reason is teleology. The problem, though, is if you look at five billion years of life, there's no way for you to have known what creature was chasing after that goat. Right. There's no way for you to know why a, that bird, the cardinal, is red. Right? Like, you might be able to figure it out, but you might not. Because the features that led to that, the, 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 all that long chain of five billion years that led to that particular feature, you were not privy to that information. It doesn't even exist anymore, right? right. Like that information, that w- what you see as a bird today is the byproduct of all sorts of stuff that had to happen from mm-hmm. the creation of the universe to the, to the existence of that bird. What will happen in future cryptocurrency networks and emergent computer networks is the same thing. Right. You won't be able to figure out where the hell it came from. Mm. A million years from now, when some AI is running our lives or whatever, or maybe we don't even exist at that point. Yeah. Maybe AI runs the whole world and y- it won't even know where it came from. Like, it will become so, like, because you'd have to know the whole history of history. Right. You'd have to know that you and me had this conversation, and after having this conversation, I decided to go program a computer to do something. Yeah. And that computer decided to do this, and then someone else, you see what I'm saying? Like, when you have five billion people on this earth, all the ideas sort of emerge, and cryptos are being generated for every function you can imagine. It's almost and like a butterfly effect. Yes. But like a compounding. Yes. It's like uh, one butterfly is flapping, so it causes a thousand other butterflies to yes. flap in a different direction. Because people so. saw Bitcoin, and they were like, whoa, like this is profound. Right. Like This is not just a minor invention. This is arguably one of the most important inventions in all of human history. People don't realize it's not just about money. This is about everything. It changes everything about everything about everything. Medicine, technology, the internet, communication, right? Every system Mm -hmm. can be, um, requires a currency of value. And it, when you permeate these things into everything, you won't even notice that you're actually using them anymore. 
right? It's like video game gold. You don't know how the programmers figured out how to make you have a little shiny little yellow thing on the video game. You just get it, right? You don't think about the base layer of why it works. Well, and there, right? there are some times like, uh, especially <laughs> at the station, they've, you know, we get in the evenings, you're off, you know, so we're just chilling. It's like a frat house pretty much. Right. And they're playing like Call of Duty up on the screen. Mm-hmm. And and they're, you know, everybody's markably, uh, their ability level is is quantifiable. Right. But in reality, when you think about what's actually happening behind all the graphics, mm-hmm. it's a dot and a dot. Right. <laughs> and a button. Right. Right. And if the two dots are lined up when the button is hit. Right. It, it. And you'll you notice score. too, you'll notice too in human games, there are genres of games. Mm-hmm. And it's very difficult mm-hmm. to create a new genre of a game. Right. Think about it. Like It's almost we, like archetype. It's almost archetypal. archetypal. Yeah. Because we have eyes, we have a nose, we have ears, we have fingers. Human beings have these particular senses to work with. The game has to be able to interact with those senses, our eyes in particular. And we have to provide feedback through our hands or our brain or eye movements or something, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So ultimately, and the games have to, to some extent, some of them mimic parts of our lives, like, you know, like, you know, houses and, you know, animals and mm-hmm. whatever. Some of them don't. Like some of them are just like Pong, where it's just like literal geometric shapes. Um, but it, it, there comes a point after which, like, you've played every game. You know what I mean? Like you're getting mature enough. You go, wait a minute. Like there's only so many games a human being can play because mm-hmm. we're constrained by our biology. We're constrained by life. We're constrained by our, our senses, whatever it is. But it doesn't make sense to make a, 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 a video game, right? That only a dog can hear. Right. Because we don't have dog ears. So we don't, there's no games that mm-hmm. play with acoustics at a dog ear level, right? You understand? Yeah, it's so like a, a broad, it's like a broad a, band. Like yeah, there's a, a narrow bandwidth of, a bandwidth, that's or whatever you call it, yeah. of like the, 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 how a game could be designed for a human and you go, oh wait, okay, there's tower defense games, there are, right? Right. So even with programmable money, like cryptocurrency, there's only so many permutations ultimately that can be devised because if you go back to the core of nature, go to copying technology from nature, you go to mm-hmm. evolution, mm-hmm. Evolution has figured out every possible permutation of economics you can imagine, right? Okay, if a creature is the size of a gorilla, it's got to eat all day. Right. Right? So there have to be trees for this thing to survive with those type of leaves. Mm-hmm. Monkeys r- jump all over the place, right? And they require tremendous energy be- and they have to digest it fast because they're really fast moving. But they're much lighter in shape. They're right. not as big as a gorilla. A human has a big brain, use a lot of glucose and a lot of oxygen, and it's the it's it does so, but it doesn't have the power. The human being doesn't have the power of a gorilla, nor does it have the agility of a, a monkey. Mm-hmm. Right? We don't have those capabilities. Everything is a trade off. There's a trade off, and the trade offs is what really economics really is. Mm. There is no such thing as a perfect life, a perfect right. currency, a perfect anything. Life demonstrates ultimately at the end of the day that perfection is not achievable it's situational and even then it's not in life here's another thing i always teach is like like life evolution can't see the future right like life can't see the future how do we know this because otherwise we'd evolve features for a future meteor strike right like the 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 life can only respond Mm. to what is in front of it it can't game out 
futures that don't exist. Interestingly, human beings can. So life created a brain which can game out futures that don't even exist. For example, a meteor strike. Right. Tigers don't dream up concepts of meteor strikes. Your DNA doesn't worry about meteor strikes, but a human can worry about meteor strikes. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned earlier the issue of like psychological health, depression, and other things. That's why human beings have depression and suicide. This is why like depression, suicide, and these types of behaviors are much more unique to either mammals or larger brained creatures, but in particular sentient creatures. Because what are you going to be depressed about if you're a tiger? I guess that you didn't eat that day, perhaps, but it's not the same thing as, oh my God, one day the earth won't exist because the sun is going to envelop it when it becomes a red giant. Why should I exist why should we have this podcast if one day the earth is not going to be here, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, so, mm-hmm. so it, all this existential crap is something that only a human can think mm-hmm. of. But, mm-hmm. it, but DNA ended up giving us humans, right, to think about this nonsense. Right. Right? Like, it's just right. weird. But DNA by itself, the base layer of life doesn't think about these things. Well, in it's, fact, it it's like the software and the yeah, hardware. You right. have to have the software, but you have to have a computer right. to process and the is, software. And how about this? You know, Some people have argued that the, all of life on Earth is just one big brain. Mm-hmm. It's interacting networks. It's you know niche formation. It's Have you ever heard of Rupert Sheldrake? No. Rupert Sheldrake? He has... Um, Oh man, now I'm going to go blank on the name of his hypothesis. Ah, oh, I wish Shannon was in it's here. Gaia she's, or she, something no, like that. Well, it's it's kind of like a Gaia type thing, but he he essentially before like cloud mm-hmm. uh was a thing, he was saying that maybe the entire like earth generates consciousness mm-hmm. and and stores consciousness. Mm-hmm. So all of our ancestors experiences are actually stored in the power system that the earth, you know, the right. magnetic field and all this different oh, stuff. Oh, I see what you're saying. It was, oh, morphic resonance is okay. what his, uh, and I mean, I'm sure it's, it's you know, a yeah, lot of and, and, pseudoscience it's, it's, type yeah, stuff. Yeah, it gets, it gets into the, uh, like a lot of, yeah, it's just hard to know uh, what portions of our existence create sort of imprints and whatnot on, on a quantum scale. So mm-hmm. like, the thing about science is it creates a lot of room for a lot of voodoo ideas that aren't right. that are imaginary. Yes. But here's the funny thing: if you can imagine them, is it that means that you have a universe that created DNA, a planet, and then DNA, and then the ability for us to think of nonsense. Mm-hmm. Think about that for a and second. Then it's in, like, other words, are, in other words, what are dreams and thoughts at the end? Am of the I day? creative enough mm-hmm. to actually have an original nonsensical idea? You know, right. like I mean, it's it's like can uh, can a computer invent chess if you don't give it the parameters parameters to invent chess? To invent chess, sure. you know. Yeah, and and but it, as an example, chess it evolved from what it, it clearly is. Knights, it, re- it requires a sentient being to play on both sides, so mm-hmm. it requires at least two creatures. Mm-hmm. It has. Yeah, at its core, the naming of it is all about castles and whatnot, right? right? And, and like so. cl- caste systems, it's yeah. like, hey, we've got pawns, yeah. which are essentially worthless, but... If well, we, you have essentially division of labor. Right. It's very similar labor. to like mm-hmm. if you have a, a an archer and an architect and a farmer and whatever, and they each have their own roles. Yes. So that game was developed out of the concept. It's a, like the first role-playing game, really, mm-hmm. if you think about it, in a way, because like... That 
knight can only do knight behaviors. It can't do king behaviors. Right. That's not part of the rule set. Man, of the that game. it is interesting so. <laughs> that like gamification. I mean, it's it's built into us. It's I built mean, in babies. Sure. Like, as soon as little kids can talk, what's the first thing they start doing? Right. I, I look. I look at that like this way too. Like so, if you look at. Um, uh, imagine human beings can actually simulate what it might be like to have a future experience without having that experience. So, for example, if I see, if I have felt a hot plate, okay, mm-hmm. and I saw you cringe when you touched a hot plate, I can simulate the idea in my mind that, okay, I felt pain before, I kind of felt what heat feels like, I saw you cringe and cry when you touched it, and I could basically second guess the next time I go near a hot plate that I probably shouldn't put my hand on it. This, this simulation means that you didn't need to actually touch it yourself. But you trust that that person is telling you the truth or had the true experience because they're your dad or mm-hmm. there, there, there's some trust relationship. And cryptocurrencies, getting back to this, is like a very similar thing. The trust part of it is... You know, does this have value? Sure. If if in, if you've exchanged it enough times and you're getting a cab ride out of it, it now has value. Right. If you get burned by it and you have this and you go to try to get a cab ride, you're not able to get a cab ride with this UST token or whatever mm-hmm. the heck token mm-hmm. you're talking about, then guess what? You're going to be kind of like second guessing each cryptocurrency and asking yes. yourself, am I going to lose this or what, right? It's the same thing as like when you started using credit cards on the internet. You're like, ooh, I don't know about this. It seemed like I could get all my money lost or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the credit cards did what? They like created insurance and they said, okay, well, if you lose money on this, just call us. We'll give you your money back. No right. big deal. We're, we're charging for the insurance and the fees anyway. That's what they do, mm-hmm. right? That's what they do. They char- That's why they charge those businesses all those fees. Because if they lose money, they just simply pay that out to the customer. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Oh, you didn't really get that gym membership? Okay, well, here, we'll return this money to you. Right. Or whatever. <laughs> so, um, you know, the trust factor is what insurance is about and what, um, you know, the more experiences you have where it works perfectly, the less concerned you are about whether or not you have insurance or not, right? Right. If you think about it, right? Right, right? Like if you knew for sure that your house would never get hit by a meteor or whatever, why would you have insurance at right. all? If you knew it would never burn down, right? It was made of, I don't know, rocks or something, mm-hmm. right? So then it's trust is a big factor in the way life works. It's how currency works. Thanks for listening to this episode. We really hope you enjoyed it. Please let us know what you think about it. Either send us messages directly or reach out in our Reddit group. Just however you want to, let us know what you think. If you've got any thoughts, questions, criticisms, whatever it is, we want to hear it. Thank you. (laughs) 